Ruth chapter 4, the kinsman redeemer, the whole Bible is really a story of redemption. This is a key word when you study the Bible. The idea of redemption runs from Genesis to Revelation. When our first parents fell in the garden, we have an early sign that a redeemer is coming. Genesis 3.15 is uh, often cited as that place where there's a promise of a, a redeemer who will crush the head of the serpent. And indeed, he did that at the cross, and he will finish that when he comes again and restores this planet and uh, finishes that work of redemption. The work of redemption, in one sense, is finished, and in one sense, it is not yet. I've been sharing with you the already not yet sense of theology. We are redeemed. We have been, our sin has been paid for in full at the cross. Jesus said, it is what? Finished. Another way to translate that is paid in full. The idea of redemption literally means to buy back or to pay for someone to be out of bondage. Uh, slaves were redeemed in the ancient world. Land could be redeemed. Individuals were redeemed. And we are the redeemed of God. The Redeemer has come to rescue us. And this theme moves throughout our Bible. We take note in the book of Ruth that life had been rough for Naomi and Ruth. Uh, in fact, the book of Ruth starts with three funerals. One for uh, Naomi's husband, who's Elimelech. And then the two sons die, Malon and Kilion. And it starts with three funerals, but it's going, the book is going to end with a birth. A birth of a young man named Obed. His name means to serve. It has that connotation of service. And the, the book starts with funerals and ends with, really, a wedding and new birth. And that's the beauty of what redemption is all about. Sin and death came into the world because our first parents failed. They took the bait. They took the bite of the forbidden fruit. Sin and death came into the world, but then the Redeemer would come. He would come in the person of Jesus Christ to buy us back out of the slave market of sin. In the book of Exodus, God says to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from the bo their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. This is Exodus 6, 6, and 7. Then I will take you for my people. I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. The first mention of the idea of redemption really clearly spoken is in Exodus. And it's very clear to us why. The children of Israel are in Egyptian bondage. 400 years of taskmasters and the mud dances and wondering, will God ever hear our cry? If you ever saw Cecil B. DeMille's depiction of the Egyptian slavery, there's an old man doing the mud dance and Charlton Heston is out visiting his people and one of the taskmasters throws like a hatchet at him and hits him in the chest. And as he's dying, uh, Charlton Heston, who's playing Moses, grabs him, pulls him out of the mud. He said, I will not allow a man to die in the mud. And then the man voices these words. He says, my prayer has remained unanswered. I've been praying for a deliverer, for a redeemer, and, and my eyes have not seen it. And in the movie, it's a pretty moving scene because he was looking at the deliverer. Moses becomes a type of Jesus who comes into our bondage 
and delivers us. Now we do all know that one of the big themes of the book of Exodus is this final plague. And when the final plague is going to come, the Israelites are told that they need to do something. They are to slay a lamb at twilight and they are put to, to put the blood of the lamb, what, on the doorpost on, in the, and the lentil. It's been pointed out, if you haven't seen this before, by our Jewish friends and pastors, that when they put the blood on the doorpost, it would make the sign of the cross on the two doorposts and then on the top of the door. And if you had the blood of the lamb applied to your house in the threshold where covenants were made, when the death angel came, you would experience something called redemption. Death would not come to your door. But if the blood was not applied to your house, you would die. Or at least in this case, all the firstborn would die. And so this is the idea of redemption. When God parted the Red Sea and Pharaoh once again changed his mind and the Egyptian army was coming and God covered them with the sea, they sang this song, this song of Moses, Exodus 15, 11 says, Who is like thee among the gods, uh, O Lord, who is like thee, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Thou didst stretch out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. In thy loving kindness thou hast led the people whom thou hast redeemed. In, the strength that thou, in thy strength thou hast guided them to thy holy habitation. David, at the end of Psalm 19, called God my rock and my redeemer. And as we go through the book of Revelation, we, are in, we were in chapter 5 Wednesday night. We saw Jesus take the title deed of the earth out of the right hand who, of him who sits on the throne. All of heaven began to praise him. And they said, worthy is the lamb to receive glory, honor, and praise. For that thou did purchase for God with thy blood. Men of every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, listen to those words. Thou did purchase for God with thy blood. That's the idea of redemption. It means to purchase, to buy back one who is uh, unable to save themselves. In the New Testament, we have these words from the Apostle Paul. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Uh, to purchase, to set free by paying a price. The, the price of our redemption was not silver and gold. Uh, inherited the, the bad conduct we inherited from our forefathers. The price of our redemption was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans 7.14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into bondage to sin. We need to be redeemed. Every single person, men and women, boys and girls, young and old, need to meet the Redeemer. And the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. One of our jobs is to spread a message of redemption. And what's interesting is that redemption was not only a spiritual reality, although that's the most important expression of it, but redemption was practiced in the life of Israel. And individuals, human beings, would be able to redeem other humans, but they had to do it through an act of love. Redemption, to redeem someone else, would cost you something. It would cost you money. In this case, it may cost you uh, inheritance and that kind of thing. And so it had to be something that you would do out of a selfless act. The word redeem, I've been telling you in the Bible, in Hebrew, is goel or ga'al. It literally in the Hebrew picture language means to lift up God. Listen to this by Jesus. He said, and I, 
If I be lifted up from the earth, will what? I will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which uh, he was going to die. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus has obtained eternal redemption. Hebrews 9.12, that is done. And Titus 2.13 and 14 says, We are looking for or waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And so in many ways, we are involved in the business of redemption. We can't redeem anybody, but we can preach a message about redemption. When we preach the gospel, people have a chance to move from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. They have a chance to experience forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ. This is the story of the church. The book of Ruth is your story, by the way. Because Ruth and Naomi were involved in darkness, famine, barrenness, and death. And they came back to Bethlehem to the house of bread, empty, uh, beaten up by life. And just in a few chapters later, light has come because there's a redeemer. And now they're in the mode of waiting. Uh, we, at the end of chapter three, as we were following the drama, we, were, we saw this scene between Naomi and Ruth. She said, 318, wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, that's Boaz, until he has settled it today. And so we said now they were in a wait mode. But she was told it's going to be settled today. It's going to be all right. You're going to know. And I'm sure they were chomping at the bit, waiting for this answer about the redemption process. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, Yet those who wait for the Lord or hope in the Lord will gain what? They will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Even though our redemption is already, in another sense, it is not yet. We are waiting for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're waiting for our Redeemer to come. And Jesus said, when you see these things happen, look up for your, what? Redemption draweth nigh or draws near. When you see these things begin to happen, look up because your Redeemer is coming. Oh, that's going to be a great day, isn't it? If we are here, whatever's happening on the planet, when the glory of Jesus Christ appears, I believe it's going to appear in the darkened sky because the book of Revelation tells us the sun, moon, and stars will no longer shine their light and Jesus is going to make the grand entrance of all grand entrances. We know some people like to walk into a room and, right? Granted, well, Jesus is going to make the ultimate grand entrance. He's going to illuminate the darkened sky with the glory of God. And by the way, all the angels are coming with him. Do you know how many angels the Bible says there are? Probably billions of angels. Can you imagine? Just the glory of Jesus alone is enough. But then all the angels coming with him, and there's going to be two responses to that coming. One is going to be, oh, yeah. And another one is going to be, uh-oh. <laughs> Apparently, the Bible stories were true. And Jesus says, look up. Your redemption is here. When you begin to see these things happen, 
He says, your redemption's right at the door. See, this is what we wait for, even though it's already, in one sense, it's not yet. And that's kind of where Ruth is. Ruth has gotten, you know, she, she's gotten some vibes from Boaz. They're, they're in like, definitely. But Boaz has some obstacles to overcome. And so he's running around. He wants to redeem her. It's already clear that he loves her, but there's a few obstacles. There's another guy, another closer relative that he's got to deal with. And so here's where the story kicks off. This is the final chapter of the drama of redemption, at least in the book of Ruth. And let me just say to you that God will write the final chapter. In fact, he's already written the final chapter. It's Revelation 22. We know how the story ends. So whatever you're going through right now, be of good cheer, my brothers and sisters. We know how the story ends. And by the way, God is going to write the last chapter of your life as well. And since he is good and we know he's for us and what? Not against us. We know that our Redeemer lives. Job said it in the book of Job. I know my Redeemer lives. When did Job say that? When everything was cool and peachy in his life? No. He said, even if my flesh is destroyed, in my flesh I will see God. I know, not I hope, I know that my Redeemer lives. By the way, Job Many scholars believe it's one of the oldest books in the Bible. Job said that in the midst of difficulty, trial, and despair. Now Boaz, chapter 4, verse 1, went up to the gate and sat down there. So now he's in, in action as the ladies are waiting. And behold, the close relative. Uh, if you have an ESV, it says the Redeemer. NIV says the kinsman redeemer. There was more than one here, and they were family members. Uh, probably not brothers of Elimelech, probably something like cousins, of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. He had told Ruth there's another, and he's closer, so he's got the first right of refusal, if you will. So he said, turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside to sit down. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down, the gate of Bethlehem. The city gate was a main hub for any activity in the ancient world. Archaeology, by the way, has not discovered the city gate of Bethlehem, but every major city and town really had a city gate. The city gate was not only a place where you would enter and exit a town, but it was also a place where they would do and transact business. In fact, in the book of Genesis, we see Lot at the city gate of Sodom, which indicates to us that Lot may have migrated into some form of leadership even in Sodom, which was part of the problem with Lot. He began to compromise more and more. As you read a little bit about city gates and what happened there, the elders of a city would, would dwell there. And they would, they would be there for different reasons. For example, one could be to settle a dispute. Another could be for some sort of ceremony or religious uh, 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 honoring. Another thing could be that there was some legal transaction that required witnesses. You know, if you have something that happens in a court of law or something has to be done by, what's that person that stamps your documents and Notary. So there's extra witnesses involved in, in sealing a deal, if you will. And at the city gate, this is all uh, that would happen. One writer says the city gate was the socioeconomic center of the city. Religious ceremonies, administrative matters, legal transactions, especially where formalities were required to be observed, all took place at the city gate. 
the elders of the city who were in some sort of governmental oversight over the people would hear complaints, settle disputes between members of the community. Interestingly enough, I've been telling you about Proverbs 31 and how in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Ruth follows Proverbs. And the question is answers an excellent wife who can find that, that question is answered in the next book in the Hebrew Bible. That's the book of Ruth. An excellent wife is going to be Ruth. Well, it says of this uh, Proverbs 31 woman that her husband is known in the gates, Proverbs 31, 23, when he sits among the elders of the land. Proverbs 31, 31 says, give her the product of her hands and her works will praise her in the gates, Proverbs 31, 31. And the idea there is that this excellent woman, Proverbs 31, she is so honorable, so well known that her husband is known by his relation to her. And in fact, at the city gates, they say something like this, oh, that's the husband of so-and-so. She's an awesome woman. Amen? All the ladies in the room said, come on, ladies. Come on, ladies. Amen. And all the guys, you should have been backing them up. With a deeper base. Amen. Now, the providence of the Lord is on display because all of a sudden there's this idea of behold, uh, Boaz at the city gate, he wants to make sure everything's done correctly and all of a sudden, who comes walking by the guy that he's got to transact some business with, right? I don't know how many people were in Bethlehem, but that's pretty good timing. You ever had something on your heart, you're somewhere, you want to deal with it, and all of a sudden, here comes the perfect person walking by. Hey, hey, hey. Apparently, this is no, we all know the word, dink, right? Here he comes, walking by. Behold, here's the close relative. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city, Boaz did, and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the closest relative who happened to be walking by, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I told you that I don't think he's a literal brother, although they wouldn't even have to transact this business if he was. Naomi has this piece of land. She's destitute. She does own a piece of land in some sense. What is the status of the land well, she can't redeem it, which indicates to us that somehow it had been mortgaged. It may be that before Elimelech led his family to Moab during the famine that he had to sell the piece of land. But remember, even if you sold a piece of land, it still became the right of redemption for that family. So if you had to sell it for economic reasons, you still could buy it back. And so the land is in some need of redemption, but we know that Naomi and, of course, Ruth have no means to buy the land back. So it's got to be done by a kinsman redeemer. His name is Boaz. His name means strength. And Boaz becomes a type of who? Of Jesus. We don't have the strength to buy ourselves out of the slave market of sin. We're poor and destitute spiritually. We're broken in bondage and sin. We need another to rescue us. And our champion shows up. He won't rest until he pays our redemption price. And so he's busy about transacting the business, if you will, to save us, to rescue you and to rescue me. That's the beauty of his love. Somebody uh, has said that uh, redemption is a story of romance. Think about it. People often talk about the Bible being a love story. It's captured in just these four little chapters, this, this jewel in our Old Testament called the book of Ruth, which really is a story of the whole Bible. It's a story of redemption. And so here, there's going to be a little business transacted. 
The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8 9 that Jesus became poor that we might become rich to buy us back. So he says, I thought to inform you, he, Boaz talking now to this other family member, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here, before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. I'm sure he was churning inside though because he didn't want him to say yes. He loved Ruth. He wanted to redeem her, but he had to do things right. He said, if you'll redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it. And I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. I think at that point, Boaz's heart sunk. He was throwing it out there. If you want to redeem it, you can redeem it. But deep down, he said, oh, please say no. Don't say that you want to be with her. Don't say that you want to redeem this land. But you got to do things right. And so all of a sudden, the response comes, uh, I'll redeem it. But Boaz was holding a card, an ace in the hole. I'm not sure why this other family member didn't know all that went with this, but he said, on the day that you buy the field, verse 5, from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the, the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. Oh, by the way, there's a little fine print I need to point out to you. This be a package deal. This is not just about land. There's a woman who comes with the land. In fact, there's two women. There's Ruth and then there's Naomi and this is a package deal. You've got to redeem it all. If you're going to redeem it, you've got to redeem it all. Some people are real quick to want to pull the trigger on a deal until they realize all the implications of it, right? Oh, really? So notice the response. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself. And Boaz was going, yes! Yes, I'm sure he's trying to hide it, but yeah, baby. How many of you have ever had that moment where you're trying to play it cool on the outside, but on the inside you're leaping for joy? Sometimes this is uh, the story of love. You ask a girl out for the first time, you try to play it all cool. Hey, uh, would you um, like some time to have a cup of coffee with with? A friend of mine, I mean me. <laughs> and when the girl says, that'd be great. You go, yes. But you try to play it cool, trip over a couple things. <laughs> okay, well, I'll pick you up at uh, well, seven. <laughs> so he said, I can't redeem it. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption for I cannot redeem it. And Boaz had to be jumping for joy. You know, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, although he despised the shame. You hear pastors say, what was the joy set before Jesus? Well, I think the joy was to please his father, but I think ultimately the joy was to know that all of us who are Christians in this room are going to be in that community. I think the joy was to know that he was going to bring you back from the dead, if you will, into the land of promise, into heaven, and of course the millennial reign of Christ. The question before us is what would love do? Now scholars have pointed out that even though this is not exactly what's called the leveret uh, situation, and I'll explain that in a moment, I'll turn to Deuteronomy just a few books back. Deuteronomy 25, it has the spirit, the spirit of the Torah or the law, Deuteronomy 25, captured in leveret, uh, 
uh, teaching is found here, although it's not exact. Let me explain. And you've probably run across this before in your Bible where if a woman was married and she died, it was the responsibility, or excuse me, the husband dies uh, of the woman. It was the responsibility for the next brother in line who was not married to marry the widow, especially, of course, if there were no children. And so he had to go ahead and, and step up and marry her. And of course, when you think about it, um, this was more obligation. Is love always about feelings? Not necessarily. Agape love, agape love is, is what we owe. We love him because he first loved us. Love is a feeling, no doubt, but love is much more than a feeling. You don't stop loving just because you don't feel it, right? So many people say, I fell out of love. Well, fall back into it. I mean, if you can fall out of it, apparently you can fall back into it. And it, it's things that we can do. Uh, we have, as, as people who, you know, as the years go on, you have to keep the flame of romance burning in your marriage. You have to do some intentional things. Buy her some flowers every now and then, even when Hallmark doesn't require you to do so. <laughs> Can I get a witness? You show up with flowers, gentlemen, on days when it's not required and you're not under pressure, you will do well. <laughs> Open the door for her. When she enters, in a, uh, enters a room, stand up. She won't know who you are and what's happened to her husband. Why are you standing? Because you entered the room. What? <laughs> this is the stuff of love. And love is, is a decision of the will. Right? We don't always feel like doing things. You don't always feel like reading your Bible. I'm sure Jesus didn't feel like dying on the cross. All of his senses in terms of his humanity, and he was 100% human, he didn't want to deal with the cross, the shame and all that went with it, not to mention the sin of the world placed on his shoulders. Deuteronomy 25 says these words. Look at verse 5. When brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased, 25.5 Deuteronomy, shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. This is called leveret law. And it shall be, it just means brother-in-law, by the way. And it shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of his dead brother. This is to carry on the name. It's the idea of redemption still, that his name may not be blotted out from Israel. But if the man does not desire to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate of the elders, and here's the gate again, and say, my husband's brother refuses to establish a name for his brother in Israel. He's not willing to perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. And the elders of his city shall summon him and speak to him. And if he persists and says, I do not desire to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the sight of the elders, pull his sandal off of his foot, and spit in his face. And all God's people said, <laughs> what? <laughs> Just go ahead. Just hoik up a good loogie. <laughs> Sorry to gross you out. <laughs> Shapoom. Well, what's the meaning of this? <laughs> Sorry for that. I ruined some of your breakfast. But anyway, here, this is what the Bible says. Spit in his face 
And she shall declare, thus it is done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And in Israel, his name shall be called the house of him whose sandal is removed. Everybody go back to the book of Ruth. All right, what's going on here? Well, there was a, an obligation to step in and carry on the family name. This is what love is supposed to do. But if a man said, I refuse, I, I don't want to do this, then there was a ceremony and it included a sandal and a spitting in the face. Now let's pick up the story in the book of Ruth as we see what unfolds. Now, Ruth 4.7, this was the custom in former times in Israel. So the writer's telling us this is how they used to do things. Concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another. And this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, the other potential uh, suitor or redeemer, he said, buy it for yourselves. And he removed his sandal. Now in the Bible, the sandal or footwear was a symbol of ownership and dominion. In fact, uh, Abraham was told, told at this point, he's Abram in Genesis 13, to go on walkabout, as the Australians say. Walk about the land and everywhere where your foot treads, is yours. And so Abraham walked around and everywhere his sandal hit, if you will, he had dominion over that area. It was his land. When the Jews would go through a different land, like a Gentile land or even Samaria, they would wipe the dust, remember, remember, off of their sandals. They said, we don't even want that dust sticking to our sandals. And Jesus said, if you go into a town and that town won't receive you or the gospel message, just wipe the dust off your feet in protest. My grandmother used to do this when she would go to a store and she would be unhappy about the service. She would stop at the doors and I was a little kid with her and she would say something like this in her Italian way. I will never shop at this store again. And I'd be going, Grandma, don't tooth Grandma. <laughs> Protest. And then she would take her shoe. <laughs> and I told you my grandmother had that special shoe. <laughs> it would hit the checker on the head. She'd put her back in her holster. Anyway. So the taking off of the sandal, they would do it formally in this way. They would say, one, two, unbuckle my shoe. <laughs> Three, four, hit the door. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not how they did it. So something like this. Here's my shoe. Buy it for you. They would hand the sandal off. And that would be the formal way. And the witnesses would watch this transaction. It's almost like if you sign documents kind of thing. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, verse 9, you are witnesses today that I've bought uh, from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Those are the two dead sons. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon. So we, we understand now Ruth was married to Malon to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. So that the name of the deceased may not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my 
witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. In Isaiah 43.10, God says to Israel, You are my witnesses, says the Lord, that you may know me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be one after me. I am the Lord. You are my witnesses. You are my witnesses. And here the elders of the city become the witnesses to this uh, transaction of redemption. And all the people who were in the court and the elders said, We are witnesses, eleven. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. And may you achieve wealth in Afratha. That means fruitful. Bethlehem is all, often called Bethlehem Afratha. And become famous in Bethlehem. Did they become famous in Bethlehem? You all know the story of Boaz, don't you? You know the story of Ruth? How many of you know the name of this potential kinsman redeemer who bailed and said, no, no thank you, took off his sandal? Is he ever named in the story? No. He refused to do what he was supposed to do. And of course, God's providentially over the whole thing. But when we refuse to do what we're supposed to do, do you think we can write ourselves out of the story? Do you think that some people write themselves out of the story? I know God's sovereign. I know he's... His providential hand is all over this, but he, we do have free will, don't we? And I don't know always how all this works with the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, but this man said no. We don't even know his name. We don't know his family's name, but we do know Boaz. We do know Ruth. And indeed, they became famous in this place called Bethlehem. When you look at the mention of uh, Rachel and Leah, it's quite an interesting story because from Jacob, who is renamed Israel, he has 12 sons and a daughter named Dinah. And uh, they come from four different women, by the way. The nation of Israel comes from four different women, two wives and two uh, women who were concubines or brought in to bear children. And Leah was the sister who was unloved, but she was, she was able to be fruitful. And Rachel, who was... His true love, Jacob's true love, was what? She was barren. And she was only able to have two children. And one of them was named Joseph. God has added is what his name means. And the other son was Benjamin, son of my right hand. And this is the, this is the story of, you know, they're saying, may your house be built up in this direction. May there be patriarchs and leaders that come from your house. God has added Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now, if you've read the story, and I won't go over it right now, this was a, another sordid scene. If you want to read it for your devotions this week, read Genesis 38, where Judah is supposed to give a son to Tamar, and the, the sons keep dropping like flies, and then one of the sons is not willing to do what he's supposed to do, and then dad... His wife dies, and then he ends up sleeping with her, but he doesn't know that it's her. Oh, my goodness, the Bible. This is the Bible. And then she gets pregnant. He wants to kill her, but then he finds out that, he, that he's the one who did it to her, and oh, my goodness, and on it goes. And out of this comes a blessed child. <laughs> I mean, you're like, okay. So from our messes, we don't, here's the application. We don't always do things right. This room is filled with people who don't always do things right. And sometimes we get ourselves in trouble. Don't multiply the problem by creating another problem. God can redeem a situation. We, we talk in these terms. Is there any way that God can redeem this? 
Yes, he can. But if you make a mistake, let him in to clean up the mess. Amen? Well, then the women said to Naomi, so now, uh, oh, verse 13. So, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive. Apparently up to this time, she was barren like a lot of the women of Israel, Sarai, Rebecca, Rachel, and she gave birth to a son. And then the women said to Naomi, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. The child was born and all of a sudden there's talk of a redeemer. Have you noticed there's multiple redeemers in this chapter? And the latest one who's being, uh, you know, God is being praised over this one. His name is going to be called Obed. And by the way, he's a baby born in Bethlehem. Hmm. And all of a sudden there's talk of a redeemer. And Naomi is, is the, they're lauding the Lord, but they're saying, blessed is the Lord. Man, you thought the Lord was against you. He's for you. He's not left you without a redeemer. You have a grandson. Aren't grandchildren grand? How many grandparents are in this room? All right, I read somebody this week who said, the grand thing about grandchildren is it's grand when they come and grand when they leave. <laughs> is it true? I'm not a grandparent yet. I'm not trying to rush anything. <laughs> but grand when they come and grand when they leave. And I've heard that you grandparents have secret stashes of sugar <laughs> to put into these children, then to send them home by trying to accomplish some means of retribution. <laughs> we totally understand where you're coming from. May he, also this little redeemer, be to you a restorer of life, a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Man, the town was going, oh, God has been good. You were a mess when you came into the house of bread, Bethlehem. You came in and you said, I left full and I've returned empty. You didn't even pay attention to that Ruth the Moabitess. You dismissed her and she has become to you better than seven sons. Seven is the number of what? Perfection. Sons were celebrated because in an agrarian culture they could help bear the load of work and so forth. And she, this, this woman that was dismissed, this woman that seemed like she was nothing, just an add-on, walking back into town, has become the vehicle by which God has poured out blessings, restored your life, and sustaining your life. Sometimes we feel dismissed. We're last picked for the team. Uh, you know, nobody remembers our name. We're not thought of. We feel like we're just kind of a fly on the wall, just, a, just another person, another face in the crowd, and then God changes our story. And he gives us these, this ability to speak into people's lives, hope and redemption. God restores the years that the locust has eaten, Joel chapter 2. He restores it back to us. Jesus, of course, the ultimate picture of this is the restorer of life. He's the sustainer of everything, the universe and us. He sustains us through every season of life. And Ruth, of course, someone who nobody would think would be a hero of the Bible has become quite a hero in, indeed. And then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap. She's silent. There's no words recorded here in the Bible uh, from her, but we could understand how she felt and became his nurse. She adopted him probably in some informal sense. And the neighbor women gave him a name saying, 
A son has been born to Naomi. Do you remember when she walked into Bethlehem, the women were all standing there. We kind of wondered if they were gossiping. Or Now the, the women of the town say this. They, they said, a son has been born to Naomi. Picture Naomi with the child in her lap. When you're a grandparent and you look at that baby for the first time. I got a funny story. When Shane was born, you know how they wrap a little, the little baby really tight? And uh, so I brought Shane out to my mother-in-law. Her name is Anne, and she comes here. And she, said, she told me later that when she first looked at Shane, she thought he had no legs <laughs> because he was wrapped so tightly. <laughs> and do you know how sometimes they open up the blanket and boing, the legs just come out? Anyway, so that's something that you know, now know about Shane. <laughs> uh, anyway. So they said, a son's been born to Naomi, so they named him Obed, he is the father of Jesse. Oh, would you take a look? The father of David. Now, Obed in the Hebrew means that this kid did not like going to bed. <laughs> what, you guys don't believe that? When, <laughs> I know, I, I thought about it. Should I, should I not? And then I usually defer to I should. <laughs> And I'm sure you guys are all learning that, right? But kids, when they're growing up, oh, bad, oh, bad. And then we quote the Bible, Goliath down. It's Goliath. Anyway, never mind. And so, and you have this battle with your children. And then when you get older, you go, oh, bad. So, there you go. That's not what his name means, by the way. So it has nothing to do with what we're saying. His name means servant, which is awesome. And so he is now in the family line of David, the great king of Israel. The book of Ruth said in the time of the judges, the last verse of the book of Judges said there was no king in Israel and everybody did what was right in his own eyes. Anarchy, uh, confusion, political anarchy, religious depravity. And the king is going to be born. And just so you guys know, we're going to move to 2 Samuel on Sunday mornings. And we're going to look at this king and watch his life. Now, these are the generations of Perez. We end with a genealogy. To Perez was born Hezron. To Hezron was born Ram. To Ram, Aminadab. To Aminadab was born Nashon. And to Nashon, Salmon. To Salmon was born Boaz. And to Boaz... Obed. To Obed was born Jesse. And to Jesse was born David. Now would you all turn to the book of Matthew. We will finish here. Matthew chapter 1. The book of Matthew opens with a genealogy. Sometimes it seems somewhat disinteresting and we can just pass over it until we see a connection. And here's the connection. And I just want to say this and I'm sure you're all seeing it but I'll just say what I think uh, it has just appeared before us that when God is writing your story, he's not just writing it for the immediate five or ten years. This story is about generations to come. Could uh, Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi in their wildest imaginations thought that God was going to turn what was totally dark and evil and turn it together for good? Not only 
for the joy of a grandson, which I'm sure in their immediate lifetime was awesome, and a caretaker and the redemption story, but one that would lead to King David and ultimately lead to one who was called the son of David. In fact, the rabbis often just called him David, uh, or uh, the, at least the, the idea of the Messiah. He would be called the greater David uh, when he came. And remember, blind Bartimaeus and others would say, have mercy on me, son of David, have mercy on me. And here's how God weaves the tapestry. You pick up the book of Matthew. Take a look at verse 3. To Judah were born Perez, 1, 3, and Zerah by Tamar. And to Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron, Ram. To Ram was born Aminadab, and to Aminadab, Nashon, and to Nashon, Salmon. To Salmon was born Boaz by Rahab, interesting. And to Boaz was born Obed by Ruth, and to Obed, Jesse. And to Jesse was born David, the king. And to David was born Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Now go down to uh, verse 21. And she, as all of this is unfolding and the angel is bringing uh, perspective and assuring, he says, she will bear a son. And you shall call his name, this one who comes from the line that we just read about. His name shall be called, what? Jesus. Jesus means Yahweh saves, or we could put it this way, Yahweh redeems. A redeemer is coming. His name is Yeshua. His name is Jesus. And it is he who will save or redeem his people from their sins. Now all this took place, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet may be fulfilled. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. If the praise team could hear my voice, come on up. I end with a song by Keith Green. Many of you know it. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. Jesus, my Redeemer, name above all names, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, O for sinners slain. Thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. When I stand in glory, I will see his face. There I'll serve my king forever in that holy place. Thank you, O oh my Father, for giving us your son and leaving your spirit till the work on earth is done. There is a redeemer, Jesus God's own son, precious lamb of God, Messiah, holy one. Thank you, O oh my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till your work on earth is done. Father, we are grateful for the book of Ruth. Thank you for the journey together, a journey of redemption. Ruth's story is our story, and we are so grateful that you entered into our pain. You became one of us. You became a kinsman, a kinsman redeemer, and you became human. And you died in our stead. The Bible says you took on flesh and blood 
And you defeated him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and freed those who had been in bondage to the fear of death all of their lives. You make people free. And if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came. Thank you, Father, for giving your Son. Thank you that we possess the Holy Spirit as a promise guaranteeing our future redemption. And this week, Lord, as we live out who we are, I pray that we'll be able to walk in that reality, in that light of redemption, even when things get difficult because we know you write the last chapter. And we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. And if you just keep your heart and head bowed for a moment, if you don't know this great redeemer who loved you, if you don't know this story of the greatest romance, if you have not uh, submitted to him and seen the cross for what it is, would you do that this morning? Would you just say, Lord Jesus, I receive your love that you demonstrated at the cross. Pray it if it's you. I, I believe that you died for me while I was yet a sinner. That you put your love on display at that cross. I believe you defeated death by conquering the grave. I trust you as my redeemer. Would you receive me as your child? Would you cause me to be born again to a living hope? Would you help me to be one of your redeemed? Would you save me? I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Lord, for those who may be rededicating or receiving you for the first time or those who will listen to this later, I pray that you would add to your kingdom those who are being saved by the power of your Holy Spirit and for the sake of your glory. And I pray that this redeemed community would go out onto the highways and byways. Help us, Lord, to be looking for ways to share this story of redemption by the way we live and by the words we share. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people said, amen. amen.